Hey everybody, good evening. Hope you're enjoying your Saturday night and uh, hope all you guys out there at the Hill Climb had lots of fun. Everybody that was in SoCal that got to do one of three or all of three if you're crazy different things today. Hope you had a really good time. And uh, let me just say that it's uh, not abnormal that every year Spooky Spokes has gone down with some sort of crazy technical glitch. Last year I, I nearly had like a, several mechanical failures and uh, this year, and we had some technical failures lasting a couple days after the uh, the episode aired. Weird phenomenon like lights turning on and off, audio disappearing, all sorts of weird stuff. Well, this year, yeah, it's no different. The spirits are back at it again, folks. We had another crazy audio glitch, but I just want to say that maybe last year there was something in the cards that I missed, something I didn't see a message there from uh, the other side or whatever, that uh, was trying to present itself to me that wasn't as evident as this year's was. Because what happened was this year, literally, uh, I'm going to say about, I don't know, a few moments after the uh, the audio glitch that I had, uh, an email comes in, a late submission for Spooky Spokes from a great writer and a friend of the show, uh, Dangerous Dave, who you may have remembered from the Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge earlier this year. Uh, just great guy all around, a uh, mile chomper. And um, so he has a really spooky submission that he wants to add to the show. So since the audio failed and uh, I have to redo some of it anyway, why not throw his in at the end? With no further ado, let's get into this week's episode and Spooky Spokes, Part 2. Welcome to Spooky Spokes for 2017. I'm your host, Junk Turdman. Won't you pop a cold brew or a warm beverage made of pumpkin spice and sit back this wonderful evening, listen to the tales Listen to the Motor Challenge and listen to Spooky Spokes. Welcome to the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast, your source for motorcycles, mayhem, and misinformation. Listen, I can barely tie a shoe, let alone figure out this thing. Kangaroos are just leaping down the street every day. And isn't that funny how people say not to be an asshole, but you're 41 and started a race career. My skin met the asshole. But these new ways kit my... I sound like a fat, hairy, bearded sloth. I have to stop talking shit. All right, a couple of blurbs. Whatever the two is cooking. All right, technically all chaps are assholes, right? Oh, technically all chaps are assless, Paul, and uh, that is spooky. <laughs> hey, everybody, I hope you're having a wonderful week so far. I hope you've had a wonderful week. I hope you're sitting down uh, with a warm fall beverage in your hand, whether it be a, a pumpkin spice beer, a pumpkin latte, a pumpkin uh, carbonated water. Is that a real thing, pumpkin carbonated water? I just want you guys to know, too, that I've been uh, trying to get my levels just right. I don't want to be too bassy or muddy, too, uh, like this, muffled, and uh, and or too much of the 
the berry wide in my voice like this, baby. So uh, I'm trying to turn myself to a reasonable level to sound good for you, this spooky spokes. And uh, yeah, hang on one sec. Check, 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 check. I think this sounds just great. Uh, hey, before we get started with uh, this uh, uh, episode, I want to tell you that uh, I thought it was very apropos to pick a word of the week that comes from uh, Chloe F4I on Instagram. Uh, her name is Amber Mole. She is a motorcycle fanatic, a rider coach. We actually had her on episode. 77 I think it was called and uh quietly fiery is the uh, the name of the episode if you want to go over to uh our website www.creative-writing.com and uh, look up quietly fiery or go look in your uh, podcast app and scroll down the list episode 77 I believe is where she came to us and she brings us today's word which is pumpkin pumpkin Now, that's a pretty Halloween-y word, and I'm sure we will have no trouble working it in here and there somewhere, Um, but I just wanted to let you know, thank you so much, Amber, for submitting that. Go check her out, ChloeF4I on Instagram, to see some cool motorcycle pics. Now, uh, before we do the Spooky Spokes segment of the show, we do have a couple things to kind of wrap up here, and part of that is round three of the motor challenge for this week. And, uh, I'm going to let us, let me and the co-host take it away. Take it away. Yes. Pumpkins. 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 Happy spooky smokes. We're recording. We're not live. This doesn't come out till Friday. <laughs> this is Friday. <laughs> Zing! You spoiler. <laughs> you spoiler of all things hilarious to me. All right, we are here. We are in a raucous and rowdy mood. We have a special guest on tonight's show. We're going to be talking to the promoter of Twisted Throttles in a little bit. Also, we have a uh, crazy motor challenge to get to before we start our spooky spokes submission for 2017 and get this baby in the books. Uh, to my right, brought to you by Daily Bikers and RP Enterprises, Chris Wiggins, and I'm your faithful host, Junkie Turdman. I know because it says so right on my <laughs> monitor. So here we are, and we're here to uh, get down to the nitty grits, the brass tacks of tonight's show. Uh, what should we start off with? Do you want to jump straight into this motor challenge? Because I'm down, man. I'm down. I'm like ill-prepared, but uh, I have been the last two weeks, so let's go for it. Listen, I'm so ill-prepared. I was like, oh my God, I chose what motor? I better study up on that today. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I knew the basics about it, and uh, that's about it. Literally the basics. So I found uh, a little bit of info, but I couldn't find like... I remember like hearing my grandpa has one of these bikes. I remember like hearing these stories that could be rumors and could be fact. I don't know. (laughs) I'm going to say them like they're fact. Yeah. I wrote, I tried to write like fill in the blanks on my notes this morning on my phone. So we'll see if that works out for me. Um, So, hey, I'm going to, 
we haven't got last week's results back. We're going to give the guys a week. This is Halloween. We want you guys to go out and have some fun. Twisted Throttles is next weekend. Uh, I really don't want to have to be punished there <laughs> in front of a crowd of thousands of people. So I'm kind of glad that they have taken a little bit to get uh, back to us. And I feel like it'll let us set up, you know more of a punishment and maybe i'll find out that you know we didn't do as hot or as bad as we thought we did last week so uh, i'm gonna let you go again first though because i think you you probably won it last week too no pressure no pressure (laughs) actually this week there is a i put a little pressure on myself because uh i stuck to my original picks even though it's really similar to what you picked last week with no further ado Let's get into this week's Motor Challenge! On, on Norton's end, or whoever the dude that bought the name Norton's end, why would you build a rotary in the 80s if it failed so bad in the 70s? <laughs> so to me, like, yours would beat out mine being weird or just dumb. Maybe that one's not weird, it's dumb. I don't know. I feel like there were some rotary bikes and they failed. And uh, then someone tried it 10 years later. Like he didn't know that they failed. He's like, hey, hey, is there uh, like a two-stroke rotary uh, air-cooled? Yeah. Oh, no one's done that successfully? Square- Let me try. Is there, a, is there a square four rotary that I could make somehow? Uh, I feel like that's one's not bad of enough of an idea. The motor slash bike I picked this week, um, it's kind of weird. It was not super successful at all. Um, but I got to give it to, in this case, the Japanese for trying it. Although some other people tried it around the same time. And oddly enough later by your bike last week. <laughs> um, so the bike slash motor I picked was the 1974 through 76 RE five Suzuki rotary Wankel beast had some like crazy, weird innovations like the uh the gauges were in like this tube with like a plastic cover and it said when you i thought it was vacuum but it said when you turn the key on the little cover like came up so you could see the gauges yeah and i was reading it was like an italian designer um it looked like a rolodex yeah and it was just kind of like bubble gummed on the front of the bike it wasn't even like mounted nicely it looked like yeah but i picked it because one, it was like definitely a weird idea. It was something I think, you know, for for Suzuki to try. And obviously like Mazda still not currently, I don't think, at least in the US, but they still do rotaries. Like up to the RX eight, which was two thousand twelve or something. Yeah, um, maybe to fourteen. I can't yeah. remember when they quit. So and you know, there's always rumor of a new RX seven coming out, so who knows what they're gonna do there. Like so I feel like Mazda has made it work, but I, and there's, I wonder the reasons for it not working on the bike. Like it said, the bike was heavy. It said the center of gravity was high. It said everything on the bike felt big, like when you sat on it. So that might have all like played into it. Um, some of the, I know it said like the exhaust temperature was super hot. Like the rotaries run hot. Um, it had lots of oil, and it was just like, it just wasn't that great. I think for a motorcycle. Um, some of the like stories that I always heard growing up. So by the way, my grandfather owns one of these in pretty decent condition. Um, and it's like a super rare collector's bike. 
partially for the fact that no one liked it and when it came out. So they didn't sell real well. So rumors were, one, it almost put Suzuki out of business because it just didn't sell and it was such a big developmental cost. And two, I guess for, I had always heard it was only made for two years. So seeing on the reliable source of Wikipedia, 74, 75, and 76, unless it was only 74 and 76, maybe they skipped 75. (laughs) But it was rumored that, or I always heard stories that if you were a dealership and you ordered one, they would send you two (laughs) because they needed to get rid of them. Um, And for one of the years, maybe for 76, the last year, they bought them back from the dealers or had the dealers send them back in and I guess repainted them and rebranded them or resold them as new or something weird like that. Like it was such like a weird bike and so much like weird little things around it. But you know, for I think a major Japanese company to try that and such a huge failure, you know, and I'm, I don't know how Suzuki views failures. I know Honda views failures as learning, but, uh, Dude, Suzuki just, they view him as, like, business, yeah. as usual. <laughs> Honda probably does now, but in yeah. the 70s, they didn't. Like, Mr. Honda was into trying weird stuff, and if it didn't work, he wanted to know why it didn't work and what they could do to make it work type stuff, yeah. so. Hugh Hefner was the same same way, different different industry, <laughs> same technique. <laughs> 70s. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, and, no, it, it's funny, too, because like you said, for a bike that almost sunk a company and was like a terrible sales, whatever figures or, you know, sales a model. Uh, it's funny how collectible they are now. Yeah. And the fact that people will like search barns and, and pay an arm and a leg just to get one. When I think they're also collectible because those collectors don't ride them. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I, from what I read, it, it wasn't a failure just because of the motor. It sounded like the whole bike was kind of a failure. Um, but, you know, with the car motor, like with them being so light and small and compact, that it sounds like it could be a great bike motor. But obviously with Hercules, um, which was actually the same time. Yeah. Um, actually, one of the articles I found was like a comparison of the Hercules and the Suzuki. So there was that one. Um and, and that's then, where Norton got their idea from. So, I mean, it's not like it wasn't uh, a common... Mm, well, it's not like it was an old, old, like we were saying last week, like a 50s. You know, you hear about yeah. wacky stuff being tried, and then the bad stuff gets weeded out. And so yeah. it sounds like it wasn't that case. Like, people were still trying to figure them out in the 70s for yeah. some reason. And that... So I don't know. It was interesting. And I also feel like the 70s for motorcycling, especially from the Japanese companies, was innovative. I mean, that was, you know, the CB750 was out. Uh, That was pre the CBX. Sorry, guys, I'm a Honda person. So (laughs) that's where a lot of my reference comes from. But, you know, you had the RD Yamaha two strokes. You had the Cowie. What were they? The H2s or something? The triples and... And the H3, the H2, H3, something like that. Yeah. So they had their two-strokes, a lot of two-stroke and four-stroke stuff, but, you know, a lot of uh, parallel twins, four-cylinders. So for Suzuki, and I know Suzuki's big two-stroke, the Water Buffalo, I'm not sure what year that was. My grandpa also has one of those. 
there's any collectors out there in listening <laughs> listener land, uh, hit me up in a few years. Yeah, get in touch with Chris. Because as much as I love some of his old bikes, like I don't have room for sixty. <laughs> yeah, man. And I could sell an RE5 and a Water Buffalo to help pay to keep my '79 CBX nice. <laughs> yeah, so, only Jay Leno got got room for sixty bikes. Yeah, and rumor was Jay Leno. So Jay Leno knew a guy that was in my hometown that had a really, really, really rare collector Chrysler, had a turbine in it. There were three of them. This guy had one, Chrysler had one, and Leno had one to restore. And he found out my grandpa had an RE5 and was, like, interested in buying it. And, of course, my grandpa was like, I'm not selling anything. <laughs> so, Jay Leno, if you hear this, I will sell it. <laughs> that sounds like everybody, every grandpa I've ever talked to. Like, yeah. Whether it's a old 2 by 4 that they carved their name on or, like, a <laughs> yeah, right? priceless car. I'm going to need that 2 yeah. by 4 <laughs> I ain't getting rid of that. I could use that. Yeah, so as much as, like, I think... It's a rad bike. I'm like, what am I going to do with all those? Besides let him <laughs> sit. Like, his barn is nice, dehumidified, like, insulated. Right. Like, it's, it's not a barn find barn, but, uh, yeah, I don't need all those. I yeah. want his 79 CBX, and he's got a single-cylinder Ducati, and he's got a few other cool stuff, but that's yeah. about it. Um, so that would be my pick. Hopefully uh, I keep scoring points on you, so it's an easy win. But, you know, if you give me one round – and we go all five rounds. I guess I'm okay with that. Yeah. Too bad there's no money in it like the Doyers game. Oh, what's that? The 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 Dodgers baseball. Oh. Everyone, they're in the World Series. Yeah, well, they're in the World Series. I didn't know what you said, actually. Oh, I know. <laughs> Everyone's like, uh, oh, the, the Dodgers are going to win in five. And I'm like, you guys are crazy if you think it's only going to go five games. Yeah, Like, no. you need to watch sports. It's going to go seven games because <laughs> yeah. they make how many millions of dollars per game? Of course, it's going to go seven games. Yeah, that's a good pick. I like that pick, partially because I think uh, I've seen a water buffalo in person and that little Rolodex, uh, you know, instrument cluster is so funny. It did look like a funny Rolodex or like a little space. It's a totally funny looking bike where you're like, wow, this looks like something in the uh, 70s where they're like, oh, in the 90s? Yeah. This is how all stuff is going to work. Everything's going to be like this. <laughs> yeah. When you, people are flying their cars around, they're going to look at this thing and think it's pretty sweet. <laughs> but yeah. It's funny. They like styling wise of the bike, I feel like wasn't bad. Like I feel like it looked like every other late 60s, early oh, mid 70s yeah. bike. Yeah. Like, Every single motorcycle in the 70s from Japan had almost the exact same tank and almost the exact same tail section. Like, whether it was a Honda or Suzuki or Cowie or Yamaha, like, they were all exactly the same. Some of them were bigger than others, but <laughs> they were, like, so similar across yeah. the board. That's what the UJM, baby. That's yeah. uh, what it, where it came from. Um, all right, I'm going to – is there anything we should add on to the uh, the R – it was the RE5, right? Yeah, RE5. I wonder what the 5 stood for. 500 cc's, I'm guessing. Yeah, probably. Five stroke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm guessing 500 cc's. Was probably. it really just rotary engine 500 cc's? Yeah. They were so creative. That's with, probably what it is. It rotary, probably RE5. is exactly yeah. what it is. Um, yeah, no, that's a good good bike. And if you ever get to see one in person or ride one, they just I like the way some of those old triples and old rotary bikes sound. Like just everything... Nowadays, inline fours, it's they just all sound the, the same. Yeah, it's the pipe you put on them. I heard a except the R one. Yeah, like yeah, that's V4. true. They do, they do. They. I heard one, uh, one of those actually drive by me the other day, and I was like, oh, sound like a big old thumper. And I look, and it was R one. Um, yeah, no, that's cool. So uh, my bike this week, I'm jumping into the realm of the Wiggins, the Chris Wiggins, and I'm Uh-oh. going with the with the Honda this week. Uh oh. 
And uh, a long time ago, before we even started this segment, the thing that got me onto it, like, hey, we should do a Crazy Motors thing. You know, we we mentioned that we began this by talking about the uh, the Ducati motor. But even before that, I was looking up weird motors um, because I was looking, watch, looking at the knee slider. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's been some pretty crazy motors out there. And one of them happened to be a Honda two-stroke. Now, Sochiro Honda was a, quote, uh, four-stroke stalwart. Where he, I mean, this guy was big on four-strokes. He almost, the only thing they had of two-stroke was uh, motocross bikes in the 70s. And uh, everything else was four-stroke, for sure. And in the late 70s, uh, the two-strokes, as you know, like that was the era of the 500cc two-stroke. And those things were putting down massive amounts of power. Um, I'm not 100% sure because I, I was just little then and I wasn't into bike tech and all that stuff. But I've heard stories of people talking about the bias ply tires and the two-stroke uh, is basically what led these guys to be like, you know, the craziest of the crazy to ride these things. One little flick of the wrist. I mean, you, there was no such thing as traction control. And actually, since the tires were bias ply or whatever, they uh, there was a specific and predictable way these things handled. And so you were on the razor's edge between a high side because just because of the power of the two strokes and stuff. So Honda was still trying to win um, on four strokes when these like powerhouses were you know flying around the tracks and in the late 70s he said hey i think it was 77 they'd been losing forever they actually pulled out of gp like in the late 60s and took a took a break and came back in in the 70s and he says hey in three years time i want you i want to win a gp but he didn't say uh like you know, he that that's what he said. I just want to win in three years, and he didn't really give him like an option of like what motor to use or this. He said, you know, we're using the NR. I think it was the NR five hundred, and um, it was losing, and it was losing bad, and it was losing for years. And so what happened was in um, the like right at seventy nine or eighty, they were uh, started watching these other two stroke bikes and stuff like that. And uh, the NR five hundreds, they had oval pistons, eight valves. They were a V four. They were an absolute racing failure, but as far as technologically they were great i mean these are the oval piston you know bikes that everyone talks about and heck a eight valve v4 back then you know that's that's like super bike stuff now but back then it was just not competitive against a little ripping two-stroke and um <clears throat> so, so by 1982 their timeline it was ending and it was apparent that they weren't going to win by the next year which was a three-year goal. So what they did is uh, over the summer of 1981, this guy named uh, Shinichi uh, Miyakoshi, you can go ahead and shoot me in the face if you're from Japan, uh, (laughs) he noticed that the 350s and the 500s were almost so evenly matched that the 350s, from this article, I read this on a couple different articles, the 350s could actually start, uh, make it from the second row starting and not be, uh, like, be competitive with the 500s. And so basically, he said, you know what, I'm going to design a bike that's a 500, but it has like the profile of a 300 and the weight of a 300. And I think that's what's going to do it because the 300s are competitive because they're lightweight and they're nimble, where the 500s have the power. So that's why they can keep up. You know what I mean? It's just like watching a dude on a um, Ninja 350 kind of like 
troll the dudes on the the R1s on the particular courses. So what happened was uh they made it they made this uh V3 and um and it had reed valves it was a two stroke and like I said Sachiro Honda hated two strokes but he said you know what we're obviously not going to win on a four stroke so go ahead so they brought in like the guys that were designers for the uh, the NR group the nr uh the v4 group they brought in dudes from the motocross side they like got the best of each each uh, division and got them together and we're like we need to meld all of our brains together like a vulcan mind meld here and make a motor and it was a 112 degree v twin with reed valves rather than rotary valves which rotary valves kind of allow you to like advance the um throttle curve sort of on a two-stroke where reed valves is just like air in you know what i mean like and then uh, we'll we'll talk about two strokes actually uh at some point two stroke tech but so the reed valves made it a lot easier than rotary valves because back in those days too you had to push start it you had to run do like the old gp start where you run with your bike and then hop on it and then go so i mean this is like hardcore you had to you had to, didn't have a cute umbrella there girl holding an umbrella for you and like putting monster energy in your mouth you actually had to like do some shit to, to win a race um so the center piston faced forward and the the two outer pistons faced up basically so that let them slap the carburetors right there on the front sort of ram air style and uh in the first season um they got their first victory in 15 years and uh, it was like the seventh race of the season so it took a little bit but man they they went ahead and started winning from then on and then two years later they they said hey let's develop this stuff into our back into a four stroke because he couldn't take it that two strokes were winning like you're your Honda guy, man, he uh, he couldn't take these two strokes ripping around, <laughs> and and to this day, Honda hasn't made that many two strokes really that I could think of. No, yeah. I think old GP bikes, but a lot of their old GP bikes were even four strokes. Yeah. The RC one sixty six. Yeah, you know, this is two hundred and fifty cc inline six. Yeah, this um, was the only two stroke I think they had. Uh, it was this the NS, and it's not the NSR. Not to get confused, it's the the NS because the NSR. Uh, that succeeded it was a four-stroke. Uh, I think they went back to V4. Well, then, but the NR500s were two-stroke still, even up into... Yeah, that's... that's Oh. Up until, like, 99 or whenever, whenever MotoGP was oh, still yeah, two-stroke. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right, yeah. So they were kind of... I But I think in those regards, they're almost forced into... The NSR, right? Was the NSR the five hundred? That might have been an SR, yeah. NSR, yeah. Because I think the NRs were the four-strokes and the NSRs were the... Uh, two-strokes. Two-strokes. But yeah, like in those situations, kind of like dirt bikes at the time, like you're almost forced into having a two-stroke. Yeah. Like if you're not going to, and Honda tried, you're not going to have a 500cc two or four-stroke keep up with 500cc two-strokes. Yeah. Like you're you're basically firing half the time. You basically have half the motor. Yeah. Um, the two I, the two strokes they it was a, like an all-out power war because four-strokes do have a lot of torque. Yeah. And two-strokes don't. I mean, they have that like top end, but four strokes what they have is like a larger torque curve too yeah. where two strokes it's not adjustable but there's a power band <laughs> <laughs> and i feel like the uh or honda used to do you know you were talking about the tires and stuff they they used to experiment like everyone talked about the r1 doing the cross plane um or the yeah cross plane crank and all yeah. that like Honda used to do that with two strokes i want to say more back into like the 60s like but a maybe twingle, it was right? early 90s yeah where they would they would 
flatten out the crank so it didn't fire so evenly. So it fired more like a twin or something. Yeah. Um, and it would let those old bias by tires hook up. Yeah. And I say old bias by tires, like even now, like tire technology is a million times oh better, God. but the motor technology is a million times better and they have way more horsepower. So yeah, it's like, I want to say because that the NS 500s were only from 82 and 83. And I think in 84 is when they went back to the four stroke. And that's also the year it was either 84 or 85 was the year that radial ply tires came in came back and in. all of a sudden it changes the, to- the handling characteristic characteristics of the bike all together and that's when two strokes start launching because then they hook yeah. up they don't they don't have that bias ply slide anymore well, the they tires actually say like the new slicks or actually a lot of new high performance street tires they're like engineered to slide and smoothly rehook. right like they've put a lot of time and effort into that's why you're seeing the gp bikes like slide but even for street tires like they don't want it you know, it used to be for a while, like if you broke a tire loose, you were either going to low side or going to high side yeah. and there wasn't much saving it. Yeah. Where now it, it's, it's kind of got to where it's, it's almost engineered in the tire that it's able to slide. Yeah. But, and I think that, right. That was the year, like that was right around the time when the two strokes started a phase out of MotoGP, right? Cause when the radials came on, it was mm, like, I, they ran them up to like 99. Yeah, you're right. Because Rossi was the last guy to win a yeah, two-stroke right. championship and the first guy to win a four-stroke championship. And I believe when they went from like that was in 2000. Right, or something like that. They went to thousands the first year. Okay. And then they backed down to 800s. And then I don't know what the deal was. I think the 800s were just as fast. So they went back to thousands, but I think they limited cylinders. Like the first year, I think it was like if you ran one or two cylinders at a thousand, you were allowed like your bike could weigh so much. And if you ran three or four, it could weigh so much. And if you ran five or six, it could weigh so much. So that was kind of like how they evened it out for everyone. And that's why Honda did like the V five. It was like a lighter, yeah. Um, like a lighter bike, but they could get the more cylinders. Yeah. That's that's another motor that I stumbled onto, but I didn't pick for my list because we only had, you know, we were only going five motors, but that was the I, V3 and V5. I thought these odd-numbered yeah. cylinders, you yeah. know, like. But I feel like, too, because, like like I said, like, I almost had, like, a strategy to the bikes I picked to a point, and I looked at, like, Honda race motors, and it was like, that is a huge can of worms. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I think the Japanese in general, I mean, those, you know, you look at now, like, the Honda, they're at, like, the 213V or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and they've like it's every couple of years they're changing a lot about the bikes. Yeah. So like you can't you can't keep up with that. I mean that's that's the Formula One of racing for motorcycles and it's it's always new and always innovative and like the stuff that they try is insane. Yeah. So. The other shows that know much more about MotoGP and talk about that, like that actually talk racing. I listen to those guys sometimes and my brain, I just like damn near melts because I'm like, <laughs> really? They put that much thought into like oh, yeah. this tiny little aspect of it. And I'm going, whoa. And that's just like a tire or that's just like mm-hmm. a guy, something he did at one race. And like they're basing like the whole series off of this one thing, you know, the next 10 years, the future. And I was yeah. like, dang, they really, yeah, this. It's it's the the bikes alone and the rules that have gone into them have taken up hours and hours of other people's server space. When it's insane, like when you get into those things, not that we're gonna get that deep, but like how different each individual bike is. Like the two Honda riders, or we'll go back to like Rossi and Hayden because I feel like and Rossi's actually surprisingly tall. He's six foot tall. Yeah. 
I didn't believe it. I had to Google it. <laughs> I was like, no way, that little Italian. But, like, him and Nikki, like, their bikes were, like, night and day different on where the foot pegs were and where the clip-ons were. Right. And how long, like, I think, I don't know if the frames were different, even down to, like, the actual chassis was longer or shorter type stuff, but... Because Nikki was, like, 5'9 or something, right? I don't know. Maybe he was short. Yeah, he might have been shorter than... But, I mean, a couple inches, you know, yeah. makes... When, when you think of, like, Marquez is, what, 5'2"? Yeah. So, like, how much different is Marquez's bike than someone like Nikki? Um, and I think Pedrosa is, like, 4'8 or something He might like that. be. And that was a... Was it Pedrosa that... Yeah. That was Pedrosa that rode for Honda for a long time yeah. with Nikki. Yeah. And it was, like they basically built the bike for Pedrosa because he was supposed to be this huge star. And then Nikki's like riding around this little 250 GP bike when he's like a full size American adult compared to someone Pedrosa's size. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like the differences they do, but yeah, I mean, you know, I feel like world Superbike and AMA has always been like a production based thing. So you can look at, the bikes are production based and they're bikes that we've seen on the street and the motors don't get like that extreme. I mean, like the RC 30 was some kind of extreme in its day because it had tie valves and it had, I don't know what else, but like it, it was fancy. I think tie valves and tie springs and, uh, Suzuki made a GSXR 750 R or RR or something like that too. That was all fancy because when those came out in 88 or 90 or whatever, the, motor had to be full production yeah so homologation rules and all that where now it's like okay it's got to be production based but like ama made a rule or world superbike or whoever that it had to be like full production so they were like okay we're gonna put tie valves in a street bike which now is surprisingly common yeah (laughs) but in that day it was not yeah when you had to have homologation motors all of a sudden they found a way to make it cost effective to Mm -hmm. uh because <laughs> you had to sell at least 500. That's uh, the same way I feel like with the um, the CBR uh, SP and the um, the Kawasaki ZX10R SP or something like that. Uh, there, there's a there's a couple different ones that, that you can tell they're homologation for like World Superbike or something yeah. like that. They're limited edition. They're the SP version only. They're the you know, instead of the ZX-10Rs, the ZX-10RR, you know, and, and the... Uh, and I feel like a friend of mine has one of the CBR ones that's the... I think it's the red, white, and blue paint from a couple of years ago, and it had nicer wheels, and it had Olin suspension. And I think a lot of that is there's a market for it. You know, there's not a mass production market where every one of your bikes needs it, but, you know, look at Ducati. They even have whatever they're up to now, but they always have an R version that's yeah. 10 or 15 grand more. But there are those guys that have that money and they want to take those things to the track and do that. But yeah, the the weird motors, I think if we got into race motors, was going to be a huge. And it's like, how do you find a lot of that information? Yeah, I know. There's so, so confident. Like you can find stuff from the 80s maybe because they're just now releasing it. But yeah. Uh, hey, speaking of racing, guess what's happening next weekend? Twisted Throttle SoCal. Twisted Throttle SoCal. Why don't we uh, take a break and uh, yap with a good buddy, Brian Bell. Pumpkins, pumpkins. Okay, we are here with Twisted Throttle's promoter, Brian Bell. And Twisted Throttle's is just 
around the corner literally next weekend. And uh, he's here to tell us a little bit about what's going to be going on uh, with the activities and with the lifestyle event that he's promoting. Um, Brian, you want to go ahead and take it away and run with it and tell us what can, what can we expect uh, from the event? Sure, yeah. Uh, Twisted Throttles is going to be kind of a, more of a lifestyle event like you touched on. And it's going to incorporate uh, something for every motorcycle rider out there from dirt bike guy to the Harley rider to the Indian rider to the BMW you know, trail rider. But realistically, it's a it's a three day party, uh, consisting of a, a big kickoff pre party at the Ramona Main Stage Friday night with a burlesque show and an art show, uh, builder party, and then there's across the street at Red Lights of Brews, there's gonna be a vintage bike show and like a craft beer festival kind of a thing. Um, and if you're coming in Friday night to camp, we're gonna actually have a party bus going back and forth from the track for the pre parties, so nobody has to worry about driving to these things. Great. Um, that area can be a little tricky if you're from out of town, especially um, it's a, you know, dark and windy road. And, and that's great that you're having transportation. It's not very far, but you don't want to take chances. Absolutely. If I had to, to rate that road on a difficulty level, it would be a, uh, a five. It would be a five. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's sketchy, it's swifty, it's turny, it's dark, and it, it is super, super sketchy. So, you know, if it, we don't suggest that anybody drink and drive ever, but especially not here uh, this weekend. Right. So. We've made camping available Friday night and Saturday night, um, you know, with a with a party bus going back and forth to the track. That's really going to save a lot of uh, a lot of time and headache for for those coming up to camp Friday night. It's it's kind of a it's an all inclusive thing, you know. So yeah, uh, Saturday morning we kick off at the drag races at 10 a.m. Uh, those run till about four. Um, we have a little BMX show going um, in the middle of the afternoon. That's got like kind of a quarter pipe into a fun box. Um, we've got bands playing all day. Um, we've got fly track starting at 6.30. They'll go until about 8, 8.30, something like that. And then after that, we've got some headlining bands uh, that are going to top out the night for us. Uh, you know, So, you know, come down, camp out, bring your friends, do whatever you got to do to be there. It's not going to be one to miss. Awesome. That sounds like so much fun. I cannot wait, actually. I'm, I'm just so stoked, uh, and I'm happy to be part of it. We have another podcast coming all the way down from Santa Cruz. The uh, Motorcycles and Misfits crew will be heading down, and they're going to be uh, shacking up with me, I guess. And so uh, we'll be down there checking it out and uh, definitely trying to experience every single aspect. I- I'm ready to, you know, touch base on every single thing you got going on there. I'm going to try to see everything. Uh, sure. I'll probably be tired by the end of the weekend, but hey, you know, <laughs> I can't think of a, a better thing to waste my energy on. Um, if people want to buy tickets for camping or buy tickets for the show, are they separate? Are they together? And where can we uh, get them? They're all together. And if you go to Eventbrite, uh, you can actually get the tickets there. Uh, it's the only source that we have, and we don't have anything going anywhere else. So, uh, eventbrite.com and just look up Twisted Throttle SoCal, and you'll find it. Alrighty. And if people come from out of town, maybe they don't hear the show or they just hear about, hey, there's supposedly this cool bike event going down. Can they show up and pay at the gate, or is it uh, buy on purchase ticket online? I mean, is that, um, you know, you better show up with the ticket in your hand, sort of thing? Yeah, no, you can certainly buy tickets online. Uh, you know, there's, there's going to be plenty of room. We can accommodate up to 10,000 people there. And we certainly don't expect to hit that number. So if you don't get tickets uh, in advance, no worries. Uh, but there is a discount if you buy them online ahead of time. Okay, so, cool. Uh, yeah, just keep that in mind, especially if you're buying you know, four, five, six tickets, something like that. That discount really adds up. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. That, that'll that definitely make a difference. And I don't see why you and five or six of your friends wouldn't be heading down to this thing because uh, yeah. it's going to be so much fun. Absolutely. You know, I think that the turnout that we can expect is massive. You know, when we did our Facebook launch, that was only about two months ago, and we're already at 2,300, which was remarkably faster than the Ivy League page ever was. So, <laughs> right. you know, it, it, I think this thing's gained a lot of traction and momentum, and I think we can look forward to carrying into the 2018. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And many, many more years. I, uh, When we last talked, you know, I think on the, the last show you were on, um, it wasn't that long ago, man, and things were falling into place then, and now everything is buttoned up. And God, what an incredible amount of work that uh, you and your crew and your team has put into this. Uh, and definitely, I think people that show up, it will not be lost on them, you know, how much... Uh, you put into this and how many people uh, are involved. There's been uh, just on Instagram and Facebook and stuff like that. I've seen so much input from the artists and, you know, people that, that plan on being there uh, to race and stuff like that. It's it just, it's incredible. The community that this thing is, is drawing and, and the, the sort of input and output that I expect to see there over the weekend. Sure. I just, our Facebook alone has hit over 70,000 people. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, if you look back at the, you know, the, the insights and all that stuff, the, the demographics that they give you, yeah, it's it's an absolutely insane. It's absolutely insane. It's, I've never seen anything like it. Even our Daytona event didn't hit that many, and that hit a lot, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's like more than like the NFL page has, I think. <laughs> so, yeah, right. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot of people interested. And yeah. uh, it's. I, I think it has partly to do because – a, motorcycles, you know, whether you're an artist or a racer, you know, the common thing or the commonality there is is the motorcycles. And uh, it's really cool that there's going to be an event like this to kind of tie that all together. Um, oh, Wiggins is here. <laughs> let, me, let me go let him in real quick. And, and Yeah, uh, sure. Good timing. Yeah, I know. Perfect. I just saw something today. There's some stuff going on Friday that looks like fun. So I might have to take Friday off half-day work and go down and enjoy the pre-race, yeah. pre-race festivities. Yeah. Uh, Larry, just make sure you have that part of it. Yeah, yeah, I know. Right? Uh, no, but that looks like fun. And then flat track and drag racing are both on Saturday, right? Yeah, yeah. Nice. So Friday is more of just a, a party. Like, get together, let's uh, you know celebrate the fact that we're actually getting to pull this event off. And then Saturday is all the festivities. And then Sunday is actually an organized ride by the city of Ramona. They're going to go through all the hills of Julian and Ramona and all that stuff. Is camping on site at the track? Yeah. Or, okay. Yep. And then Friday night, or Friday, if you can get there Friday and you want to camp Friday, we have a bus going back and forth from the track to the bar. So nobody has to worry about driving if they're drinking. Yeah. This is quickly becoming one of my favorite events. Yeah. On a side note, are any of the funds or is anything from the event uh, going to the city of Ramona? Uh, yeah, yeah. So Sunday's biker breakfast thing and Friday night's all in Ramona. Um, really, all, all the stuff that's happening at the Verona Speedway is happening on Saturday. Cool. Yeah. It's really cool, though, that the local town is kind of getting behind it. Like, they're seeing the the economy, they're seeing the the tourist stuff and people spending money. Like, And I feel like so many places don't, they don't take advantage of that. And it's so cool that that local city is... You know that they, they want to be part of it. They want to make it something cool, and they want to like really help turn it Absolutely. into an event. Absolutely. You remember when we did Bakersfield Wiggins? Like it was really, really hard to get that. Yeah. Even yeah. Del Mar, like I, I know for Del Mar, like it's not a huge income. Like it, 
will be for the smaller town. But at the same time, it's like just be involved. I don't know. It's just so cool that they're involved. It'll make it such a better event. You know, like Sturgis, I feel like used to be that way. Now they're only involved because they want to collect everyone's like yeah, extra right. fees. <laughs> right. But it's like big enough they get away with it. So it's it's cool. Let's put that it this way, man. Del Mar and Solana Beach, they get heavily involved. They get heavily involved in noise complaints. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's super cool that the local town is going to be involved and doing the mayor's ride and just stuff like that. I mean, that'll make it such a cool event and kind of more relaxed for people, you know, that it's it's more fun. Don't be stupid, don't get hurt, but you know, have a good time and you know, we were out at the Moto Beach Classic in Huntington last week and like you had to park like 2 miles away, so people are riding mini bikes back along this little road getting tickets for no helmets and it's like dude how many hundreds of thousands of dollars was spent to rent the facility sure. and bring that together and then you're gonna write petty tickets to people right so it, sure. it's, it's I'm so surprised cool. they didn't impound the bikes you know and i get it's huntington so for them it's not a lot of money but it's like i don't know it's a bummer so it's cool like i said to see that local community getting involved and and helping out yeah, that is it's it's awesome, and I couldn't think of a better place. Uh, if you're in SoCal, hell, if you're not in SoCal, the guys from, like I said, motorcycle is in misfits are coming from Santa Cruz, so uh, you don't have to be local to have uh, fun with the rest of the local yokels. So come on down, uh, Ramona, and like Brian said, go to Eventbrite.com to get your tickets. Uh, if you're not that lucky or you don't know how to com- use a computer, it sounds like you can show up and uh, there won't be any problem. So. Uh, th- there's no excuse not to come out, support the city, support Ivy League, race on the res, and Twisted Throttle SoCal. All right, everybody, you heard it. You, you got the scoop. If you want to enter any of the classes to race, email Brian directly at ivflattrack at gmail.com or show up super early Saturday. It's going to be real busy Saturday, so like you said, try to get there Friday. Uh, let's wrap it up with Brian from Ivy League Flat Track. So listen, get your get your tickets on Eventbrite. Check them out, Twisted Throttle SoCal. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. You can find information everywhere, even Ivy League. You can find them on IVLFT.com. You can find the information you need to get to the event for sure. Um, don't miss out on it. Brian, thank you so much for coming on and uh, schooling us once again. And folks, it's next weekend, so... Buy your tickets. <laughs> well, Larry Wiggins, I appreciate you guys talking to me tonight. And, uh, I hope off. to see you guys out there. And I know my partner, Blake, will be uh, excited to see you guys, too. All right, Brian. Thank you for hanging with us once again. And no we'll, problem. S- we'll see you next weekend at Twisted Throttles. Sounds good. All right. Bye. Here. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Listen up. It's going to be awesome. Bring your tent. Bring a friend. Race on the res. And Ivy League Flat Track putting on one of the biggest events in SoCal all year. All century. Hey, listen. Uh, We're about to get into the segment of the show that I know you've all been waiting for. It's Spooky Spokes time, folks. So, I hope you've carved your... Pumpkins. (laughs) Hey, you sound kind of cheesy. Why don't you say it like this? Pumpkins. And get your vanilla latte pumpkin spice beverage in your hand. Kick it. Sit back. And uh, turn the light on, because you're going to need it after some of these stories. All right, Spooky Spokes. This first story comes to us from the Great White North. It comes from Lance in Canada. 
back in the late 80s, a group of friends and I used to go out almost every weekend on dirt bikes, up logging roads and down cut lines and out through the hills up around where I grew up in Grand Prairie, Alberta. We were supposed to go out. It was a really chilly spring morning, and we were supposed to go out, load up our bikes and head out and then hit the roads. Most of the people, well, to be honest, all of the people jammed out on me that particular day because everybody said it was too cold. There was still snow on the sides of the roads. Roads were too wet and muddy, blah, blah, blah. A host of excuses, but I figured, well, you know, my bike was loaded. I figured I'd go out and do it. So I got out, unloaded the bike, and started tear, you know, tearing down logging roads, just looking, just enjoying the spring, looking around, you know, and just being happy to be free. Well, I approached a corner that was coming up on a slight embankment of a hill, and I looked to my left and I seen what I can only describe as an inhumanly large owl, something that you just don't see in nature. Well, I was confused, and I thought, well, I gotta get a, you know, I gotta take a better look at this. So I slammed on my brakes, came to a halt, looked up in the tree where the where I had seen the owl. But at this point, the owl had gone. In its place was a raven, blacker than I've ever seen a bird, even to this day, all these years later, a black that almost seemed to drink in the light when it hit it. I swear that it winked at me as it took wing and flew off over the treetops. Well, now I'm confused. Did I missee the owl? Did I, was I imagining the whole thing? Was it, was it so cold that my brain had gone numb? Wasn't sure, but I decided to, you know, hit back out on the trails. Well, a lot of these logging roads, what they would do for bridges is they would take old CN rail cars, take the trucks out from underneath them and lay them across river crossings. Some things could hardly be called rivers. They were fairly small, but this one joined up with a bigger river and upstream it came right out of, I believe, the mountains. And I'm sure at some point during the, the spring thaw, it must have busted loose some big chunks of ice from further up, and it had completely wiped out the bridge. The bridge was laying, you could see, kind of half submerged in the water and just laying at a really bad angle. Now, if I hadn't looked up and if I hadn't seen that owl, raven, whatever it was, I would have went straight into the river and probably being so far from home and so far from civilization and having no friends around me, that would have been the end for me right then and there. So I think that's probably the creepiest thing that's ever happened to me in all my years of riding and just thought I would share it with the creative riding listeners. Thanks very much and have a good day. Thanks, Lance. Lance is a loyal listener and contributor to the show, uh, has a lot of great ideas and uh, lots of input. Thank you so much, Lance. Uh, our first spooky spoke from Canada. All right, this next one is another tale of uh, solitude and what can happen when you're alone too long by yourself in the fifth dimension.
get high. Everybody get high. Trick or freaking treat. First of all, my man, congratulations on the podcast, creative writing. Writing, not riding. Oh, wait a minute, man. It's the other way around. It ain't the pot, man. It is not the pot. So, man, the gold wings were injected in 85, but when the 1500 hit the street, we had two cobs, man, with an altitude compensating circuit. Not sure if you knew that, but my man, me, myself, and I owned one. Worked well, man. Go away, you kids. Can't you hear I'm recording a podcast? Man, Halloween. Candy-ass kids wanting candy from my ass. Anyway, my man, who won't give his name, thinking you're some kind of Clint Eastwood spaghetti western mother. Well, I better not say the second word, but the man with no name. High Plains Drifter. You never told us what your name was. Anyway, my man with no name, congrats on the podcast. Excellent show. I enjoy it. Looking forward to the soul stis. All right. Got someone weighing in, not only on the gold wings, but uh, some naughty trick-or-treaters at the front door. You know why I liked that submission it kind of reminded me of the old days of like watching joe bob briggs monster vision or uh, elvira friday nights with elvira whatever the heck it was called like all those crazy 80s shows this person had an 80s gold wing and it reminded me of somebody that's sitting around with a bunch of old scary movie posters in their uh, hanging up in their in their uh, studio or something so that comes to us from uh, jr and banksy Thanks, guys. And by the way, um, people have been calling me Larry, so I've just been going by Larry. So we're going to stick with that for my podcast name. How's that? All right. Or Steve. We called me Steve, too, before. So whatever's whatever's cool. But yeah, no name. Pro- just producer's fine. Junkie Turdman. It's a good one. All right. We're going to return to the great white north. Not quite Canada, but... He sounds a lot like Lance, actually. Uh, this is Chris Singsheim, uh, Nitrous Chris from the WIR Top 10 Bikes List. This dude loves to explore. Last year, he had a Whopper for us, and this year, he sends in another one. I've got to read it for you, though. I'm going to get a little help. No, I'm just going to read it myself. Satan, you want to help out? Nah, you're, you're good. You go for it. All right, bro. Well, here goes. Nothing. Here's a submission by Mr. Singh Simon, and there's some accompanying videos to go along with it. I, uh, I'm going to go ahead and play the video first. I haven't actually talked to Singh Simon since he sent this in. So uh, let's see what happened out there. So I'm out here at uh, Bray Road, where supposedly the Beast of Bray Road lives. And uh, as you can see, the uh, roadside behind me here. And uh, I'm going to go... Uh, See if I can find a werewolf, and I even brought my werewolf bait. We'll see if he likes a hot squatch stick. 
so uh, I'll let you know how this goes. I'm in the middle of effing nowhere on a haunted road looking for a werewolf. What else would you do? Here, Wolfie, Wolfie, Wolfie. I don't see anything out here yet. It's a weird ass road though. Motherfucker's got my beef stick! He's got my beef stick! Back here, you son of a bitch! It's getting dark out pretty fast. And I'm a little winded. But that son of a bitch is quick. More of the story is. I got my beef stick back. He ain't no match for me. Oh my god. I'm so glad he made that out, out of that alive. You can hear him tussling around in the bushes there with him for a little bit. Let's uh, continue reading his story. Alright, so Chris's letter comes to us and it's titled Spooky Spokes for Rad Folks. In quiet southeast Wisconsin, there's a road with a creepy history. This road lays in the middle of beautiful farming country. The road is named Bray Road. Scenic and welcoming during the day, but at night there are stories of something, something big that lurks. All my life I've lived in Wisconsin and heard the stories of the beast of Bray Road. And I've always been curious, but not too gutsy about exploring the area where the werewolf type creature stalks passersby. Over the years, the curiosity has slowly got the better of me. And I've driven by a few times during the day, but never made that turn off onto that little side road that splits farm fields. Well, last week I decided to gear up and put my courage to the test. This time of year it gets dark and cool pretty fast. About by 7pm the sun is down. I hustled home from work, got my gear, grabbed the keys to the Super Duke, and I hit the door running. Bright Road is about 45 minutes from my home and I was chasing the sunset halfway there, and I knew I would get there at the absolute worst time for a big chicken like myself. When I turned off the main road that got me close, and I started down the side road that crosses Bray Road, my guts got a little bit rumbly. And at this point, I was having thoughts like, I should have told someone where I was going, and what if the Duke quits on me, and what if this is the real deal? I remembered all the crossroads and counted down to Bray Road for my quick map check before I left home. When I passed the last one, I knew I was going to be in no man's land in pitch dark with nothing for self-defense but a Jack Link's squatch stick, which is beef stick. No one ever said I'd think things out, but I did have Duke, my trusty two-wheeled steed, and as I approached, my headlight reflected off the road sign. There it was in the moonlight. Bray Road. It may as well have said, keep on going by, chicken shit. At least that's what my goosebumps were telling me. But I decided to turn onto Bray and stop for a pick. I remounted my getaway machine and started down Bray Road, and I decided I would make a flyby and just kind of cruise down, making a note of anything I saw, buildings, farm paths, and any escape routes in case someone or something decided to get frisky. I made it to the far end and I turned around and I, I rode back to somewhere around the halfway point. It was pitch black, no light pollution, just a small thicket of trees and bushes off the side of the road, surrounded by farm fields everywhere else, and I slowed down and I pulled off to the side and I stopped. I sat there for a moment and I walked down the road a bit 
to what looked like a deer trail that went off into the thicket of trees. Could could this be it? Is this where it ends? Even if the Beast of Bray Road isn't there, what if there's some crazy cult stuff going off in preparation for Halloween? With the history of this area, who knows who or what is in the woods? I ventured forward and I, I made it in about 30 yards and then I heard what I can desc- only describe as a deep grunt and my heart stopped. I stood still for a second and felt like there was more than just the wind blowing the leaves around. I was not stoked. I slowly and quietly backed out of the wooded area, all while look, looking around for anything not cool, or the reflection of eyes and the little bit of moonlight that was shining through the trees. Once back to the shoulder of the road, I could see Duke sitting there, like he was watching my back. I hit the asphalt and ran. I kept all my gear on, so all I had to do was mount up and hit the starter, and Duke was already facing my exit, and we were gone like a shot. I was about halfway home before I calmed down. I don't know if I'd go back at night. My gut had a pretty bad feeling about it. Looks like the Beast of Bray Road lives on, and I'm not going back to disprove it. All right. Hey, Chris, that was pretty freaky, man. And uh, you are brave. You're truly brave for uh, going out there alone into the wilderness of Wisconsin, uh, especially considering what you sent in last year uh, and all the crazy stuff that happens out there on these roads. Uh, Speaking of crazy things that happen on roads, let's move on to our next submission given to us by our own Chris Wiggins. All right, so this, there it is. There's the green. This is Chris, and this is my spooky story. Uh, So I just want to warn everyone, it's not like a weird ghost story. I don't, I couldn't think of like a spooky story. I mean, I've ridden at night a lot, which is always creepy, like in the middle of nowhere, like riding across country and it's like dark and you're by yourself. It's like super awesome at the same time. But, uh, so I guess the, it's more of a tragic story, but it'll work. Um, I rode around the country a couple years ago and, uh, I got a stop in my hometown. I got a ride with some friends of mine I used to ride with. And, uh, so we were all riding around town, having a good time and, uh, it's actually like, I guess it is like kind of creepy just because of like some of the stuff that like happened like right around then. And it always like makes you wonder like, why was it different? But, um, the short, or I guess not necessarily the short story, but so we were all riding around having fun. Like a lot of the guys were on sport bikes. I think there were five of us total or six. And, uh, I was the only guy on a Harley and, um, so we're in town and we stop at a red light and we're all like lined up across two lanes and, I decided because I'm on a Harley, like I'm going to drag race across this intersection because that's the only place that's faster. <laughs> so uh, I'm like looking at the red light going the other way and like checking traffic and then the or the green light going the other way, I should say. And it turns yellow. So I kind of check again. And I go back to my light and it goes green. And I just like just feed the I was on my dyna. I just like feed it clutch. And for some reason, like halfway across the intersection, I thought. I like looked left to my left and I didn't know why because I was like was kind of trying to drag race across an intersection but something was like look left and I look left and there's a truck like just barreling into the intersection just like 
65 mile an hour or something. And I remember seeing it like kind of bounce, like a lot of roads, like where the intersections are, they kind of have like the hump in the middle where the two roads kind of meet, especially in the Midwest where it rains, a lot of the roads are crested. So the guy like kind of bounces into the intersection. And I remember it's crazy. Like everything like slows down and you like, you get all these like weird feelings and like, remember a bunch of stuff. It's nuts. But I remember thinking to myself, like while all this was happening in a millionth of a second, that if I got my butt past the truck, then I would live. Like, that's how close that I thought this was going to be. I'm like, okay, just like lean forward, just do everything to get the bike or to get as far past the front of the truck as possible. Um, so I did, I felt the truck go behind me. So I, I ended up clearing the whole thing, but I like felt the wind off of it. It was like super creepy. And I'm just like, oh. so I like, I stop and I turn around and then, uh, I see this, like, there's a bunch of dust and everything. And I'm like, oh, the guy swerved to miss me and like hit the curb. And, and it turns out he didn't swerve to miss me. And out of everyone that was in a line, a couple guys were like talking and someone else like wasn't paying attention either. And they like didn't go. So, uh, like almost everyone made it. One guy unfortunately went and uh, he didn't even go like with me. He wasn't even like kind of racing across the intersection. He just like went at his own pace, which was also part of the problem. So he got clipped by the corner of the truck and it, it ended up killing him, but it was just, it was also like creepy. Like I remember thinking like it was my fault. And then I remember thinking like, you know, we're all on bikes. Like, I can't believe this. But even like the guys I was with, they're like, dude, if we were in a car, like it would have still killed everyone in the car. Like the dude was in a full size truck and he was just, he was super hammered drunk. He tried to run like the whole car or the whole pickup was smashed. The bike was in like two pieces, like broke the frame. The forks were like snapped off the front of the frame. The swing arm I think was off. Like it was just trashed. So it was like a super like kind of creepy, just like a, obviously like a bad night, but I guess that's like the spookiest thing I could really think of. But again, like what kind of makes it spooky too is like the stuff in me that like kind of told me like something's not right and made me aware of it. And then like just the whole thought process to get through it, how it slows down, like it was pretty nuts. So definitely after that, like thankful to be alive and glad that, uh, that I made it through that and get to ride motorcycles again. Well, my submission for Spooky Spokes this year comes in the form of the Colorado Street Bridge. Uh, Colorado Street, which is known as Colorado Boulevard now, is famous because that's where the Rose Parade goes down. And uh, there's a wonderful bridge that stretches over the Arroyo Seco. And down, that's the, uh, like the riverbed down there in the bottom. Uh, and it curves. It's, it was built in 1912, and it's got a very, very turn-of-the-century look to it. And I believe there was a Bush Gardens or something down there. Uh, one of the original Bush um, family members moved out here and created a Bush Gardens here in Pasadena. When you're driving along the bridge, you get this feeling, this nostalgic feeling. It's kind of a romantic, um, and it's very charming, and it's got like some of this old, uh, unique uh, feel to it. You, you know, there's not quite many bridges like this, uh, you know, that were built that long ago that still are around uh, in this part of the, the country. And so basically, 
it, it's got this like air of charm about it. And during the daytime, it's not really that spooky, kind of like, you know, Bray, Bray Road for Chris. But at nighttime, it takes on like this different sort of feel. And it's a little bit more ominous. Um, of course, down in the riverbed down there, there are, you know, animals and homeless people and stuff like that. And Apparently, the animals act strange sometimes. Homeless people have reported uh, sightings of hauntings. And the reason being is because this bridge has another uh, uh, kind of an ominous nickname, which is the Suicide Bridge. The first suicide took place, pardon me, roughly November 16th, 1919. And uh, nearly 50, estimated up to 90 uh, suicides during the Great Depression, like somewhere from 1933 to 1937. There are quite a few paranormal groups that stalk LA looking through all the old haunts and all the crazy old Hollywood, uh, you know, ghost stories that that happen. But they're all drawn to this bridge as well, just because of the amount of hauntings and the amount of history. Uh, Apparently, during the construction of this bridge, which is uh, mostly concrete, uh, it's a hundred, around 150 feet tall, I think, at the highest point. So you can imagine the sheer volume of concrete uh, used to make it. And the some of the workers apparently, when this was being built, fell into the concrete and are forever entombed. Uh, and also, like I said, during the Great Depression, of course, people. This is super easy, convenient way for people to uh, end their trouble, so to speak. Also, there's stories of a woman who threw her baby from the bridge and then jumped after. And the baby luckily hit a tree and fell through the branches slowly and survived while the mother died. And this mother haunts the bridge now, looking for her baby in eternity. Um, And the last one uh, that I've heard of happened in 2008. Because in 1993, they did this renovation of the bridge and like a preservation of it. And they installed a suicide barrier, which is like they installed these really, really high uh, like iron, cast iron or raw iron uh, fencing so that you can't get over it. It kind of looks like it's original, though. They did a really good job making it look like it's from the, uh, you know, turn of the century. But at the same time, it was to prevent people from, from killing themselves. But in 2008, somebody managed to do it. Uh, a guy had, uh, done some dubious deeds to his family and soon afterwards he, uh, he jumped (laughs) over the bridge and that was 2008. Um, I went down into the tunnels down under there. There's like a wash. There's like a, some weird creepy tunnels that you can actually get down and, and walk through, um, and take a little stroll down in there. I went in there and I played a little song called the skeleton song for Halloween. So I'm going to play that right now. All right, everybody. I got one, one shot to do this. I'm in the tunnels underneath the uh, suicide bridge in Pasadena. And uh, it's dark as fucking here. And it's freaky. And I'm going to do this and get the hell out. This is my spooky spokes mission.
guys that was my submission from a tunnel in the wash <laughs> underneath suicide bridge there in pasadena kind of freaky even in the uh, daytime uh it was pitch black in there actually in the daytime so whoop de do all right last submission this is our uh our late one here and this is coming to us from our good friend david shoot so my story starts out a long time ago When I was a young boy, my grandfather built a cabin in the woods of North Carolina, which my family spent a lot of time in during the summers. My father and grandfather built the cabin themselves. It was quite a large cabin, having three bedrooms, one bath, and a kitchen dining area. My mother was a school teacher, so we had summers free, and I would spend a large part of time at the cabin. It was on Lake Gaston, North Carolina, and I have several fond memories of the place. It was also the place in which my earliest memory of motorcycling comes. I come from a family where no one rides except me. One weekend, however, some friends of my grandfather stopped by. They pulled up on two gold wings. Must have been in elementary school, because I remember those bikes, Mm. and one of the guys even let me sit on his. Of course, I was wearing shorts. It was summertime, and I burned my leg a little on the exhaust. Still, to, to this day, I remember the encounter some 40-odd years ago. The stories they told of the places their bikes took them and the freedom those bikes gave them. It was the inspiration that got me on my path to motorcycling. 
It wasn't till several months later that I found out that those guys were killed on their way back from the lake. They ran into a semi that had crossed over the line in a turn and killed them both. It turns out that the inspirations was one of the last things they did. It did not deter me, but the stories of their deaths haunted my families as we were the last ones to talk to them. Dangerous Dave Shoop. 1842. All right, everybody, thank you. That was our Spooky Spokes episode for 2017. Thank you, everyone, for all the submissions. And uh, hopefully next year is just as creepy, just as good. Um, thank you, Lance, again. That was an awesome tale of what can happen when you're all alone out there in the woods shredding it. Um, thanks, Chris, for purposely going alone out there into the woods to shred it. Thank you, JR and Banksy, for sending in your submission that totally reminded me of a dude hanging out in a bunker waiting for UFOs to drop bombs on the rest of us. <laughs> and uh, thank you, Chris, for your tale of tragedy. And uh, we hope you join us in the spring for Solstice Slam when you can submit again. Not spooky stuff, just crazy, crazy bike stuff, anything bike related. All right, let's resume our program and wrap it up. So, hey, um, we are going to get to our Instagram picks of the week. Uh, I'm going to let Wiggins go first. I'm, I, I feel like I need to let you go first. Okay. I just keep, I'm just first in line for everything. All the time. All right. You're getting uh, the special treatment, kid. I'm going to throw mine back pre-flat track to some Speedway. Ooh, I like you. There's a, a cool little Instagram that is from a magazine called Turn One Magazine, and that's their Instagram, Turn One Magazine. Spell out the number one. Turn One Magazine. Anyway, it's like new old Speedway photos that are just rad. So if, you, um, if you're if you a diehard flat track fan and you think flat track's the coolest thing in the world, then you need to see some good Speedway photos because <laughs> those dudes are nuts. And yeah. remember, there's no brakes. Yeah. And they're actually a lot, lot faster. And there's kind of no seat and there's kind of like... Not really suspension. N- not suspension. And there's kind of like only one peg. Kinda. Yeah. So... It's, it's kind of the weirdest bike ever. But, yeah, um, they look super cool. And then, you know, yours sitting there, I was looking back through the pictures that we were taking the other night, and I was like, oh, man, yeah, that thing looks so sick. I think you should still take that down to 7-Eleven and get a, <laughs> get a Slurpee on it. I should take it to City of, City of Industry and race it a little bit. But, yeah, it's uh, – so anyway, that's that'll be my pick of the week. Check out some old Speedway photos and some new Speedway photos. And, and is that all one word? All one word. All right. What is it again? Turn One Magazine. Got it. Turn one magazine. Um, I just did a random flip through. Um, this is a uh, funny. I've, I've never done just a search by tag, but uh, I came ac- I came across some um, I draw paintings, which is also just one word. And this person draws paintings. Does that sound? It's pretty self explanatory. <laughs> but they happen to be uh, spooky movie themed, which I thought was pretty good for Spooky Spokes episode here. Um, they got he's got Scream, Jaws, a bunch of the uh like Batman movies, um House of a, of Ten Thousand Maniacs, <laughs> House of Ten Thousand Corpses, as Wiggins told me, and it and all sorts of crazy scary stuff. Even the Rocky Horror Picture Show 
And uh, yeah, this is pretty funny stuff. So I draw paintings and turn one magazine. Instagram pics of the week. All right. Well, Wiggins, listen, man. Thank you for contributing your story to Spooky Spokes. I still don't have a sign-off. What's your sign-off? I don't have one. All right, good. That's your (laughs) sign-off. Thank you for wasting another hour and a half with us. Um, This episode has really been creepy. I... Right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is so red. (laughs) All right. So, yeah. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us. Um, Next week, Twisted Throttles. Anything else coming up the week, uh, this weekend? If if you're hearing this right now, hey, get your ass out to Glen Helen for the Halloween hill climb. Yeah. And, yeah, actually, I should announce, um, I just picked two more dates for some SoCal Hogan races. All right. Let's hear them. I gotta remember them. January, January thirteenth is at Paris Flat Track. We're gonna do a speedway format with uh, speedway bikes. There's already some speedway races going on, so there will be some speedway bikes there, and we will do a speedway format race. What we're gonna do is all three regular hooligan classes can sign up. We're gonna do what's called handicap start, if handicap still politically correct term. And uh, developmentally disabled start. Yeah. So if you are on the street bike class, you'll start up towards the front. Um, if you're in the half throttle class, we'll put you back like 30 yards or something. And then if you're in the WFO class, we're going to put you way back in the in between turn three and four or something. So where is this going to be at? Paris flat track. The speedway then. Not the auto speedway. Not the auto speedway. Okay, the yeah, regular, the, ra- the small ra- one. raceway. Yeah. Okay. So I know for a lot of the local hooligan guys, like that's where a lot of us got started. So it should be pretty fun. That's January thirteenth. So if you're interested in racing, uh, SoCal underscore hooligans. If you have any questions, and then February third, we're gonna do a hand shift night. So uh, that way they can kind of have their own night, um, and I don't have to race. I can just go hang out, and uh, so they'll do the same thing. I'm hoping to, they usually get like eight or 10. Maybe we can get 12 guys and do three heats of four, but same thing. So it'll be like four riders for four laps and you should get, I believe it's four heats. And then depending on your points, there will be a Conti and a main. So that's for both nice. of them. So yeah, even if you got a, a hooligan street bike with DOT tires, um, you can come out and run with us. And uh, the handicap starts are going to be experimental this time. Like, I don't know how many yards I should put someone back. And the, the idea is like, I know Brad Spencer already signed up. Like, no offense, Brad Spencer, but the idea is him and I aren't going to win it. Like, hopefully some, like, half-throttle or some, like, street bike guy, you know, has enough of a lead and, and can get around the track quick enough that we can't really catch him. So we'll yeah. see. Um, it's meant to be fun. It should be a good time. There's no big money, no big fancy bikes. So you're not going to win anything for winning except high fives that you'll get for losing. So yeah. hopefully it'll be fun again. Like Santa Maria, I know there was a lot of... Uh, a lot of guys were really excited after Santa Maria. They had a good time. So hopefully we can go out to Paris and have a good time. And, you know, if we continue to build the rider base and working with this promoter, you know, we can we can have our own events. But it's just getting the rider base and maybe getting some sponsors involved. But, you know, to me, the best way to do that is have a rider base and build a fan base and have people know that you put on a good show and it's a fun race for riders. 
and I think everything else will kind of fall in line. Rad, so. right on. Yeah, so mark your calendars. That is going to be two dates, right? Yep, January 13th, February 3rd. All right, so I think mark mark your calendars <laughs> now. We think we'll we'll solidify those. Uh, stick around for next week's uh, motor challenge, and we'll find out next week, I guess, who won this week. the The judges are getting back to us a little bit late. It's a busy time of year for these guys, so we'll give them give them a little break. They're probably tired of hearing us talk. Yeah, I know. So, uh, yeah. So stay tuned for that, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Later. That's not his sign-off, by the way. <laughs>